this is a bunch of discourse that happened on social media that, like all social media, discourse just makes no sense now. <laughs> we did touch upon this in previous episodes. This debate between people who liked the new rap and people who disdained it as mumble rap that had no respect for the past. As we've already noticed, this dichotomy is fake. It's also nothing new. And it's been resolved at this point. We know how hip-hop is going to turn out. We know that a lot of the emo rappers are going to go further into rock. We know that a lot of the people who were initially derided as mumble rappers are going to be moving into other styles. We know that the dominant flows were going to become drill flows. But a lot of internet ink was spilt about this. And the focus of this next part of the episode is going to be about relitigating a five-year-old debate that everyone is sick of. So congratulations for listening to this show. So, obviously, as soon as you start complaining about new styles of rap, you start sounding like somebody's billion-year-old grandfather. But it's actually a little more complicated than that. A lot of the new rappers were horrible people, <laughs> you know. Yeah. The emo rappers who appeared on this chart, Juice World, by all accounts, is an absolutely lovely person. Lil Peep was actually really lovely and politically interesting. But XXXTentacion was a real creep. Yeah. And 6ix9ine, who also appears on this chart, was immediately bogged down by controversies over his use of a child in a sexual performance, which led him open to accusations of him being a paedophile, and yet people still carried on listening, you know? Yeah. Takashi 69 is breathing a sigh of relief tonight. Just a short time ago, a judge sentenced him to four years probation. He's completely dodging jail time this time. And this is all part of a 2015 criminal sex case involving a minor where prosecutors said he violated the terms of a plea deal. There's also an extent to which the history of hip-hop is black culture. So when you have brats like Lil Xan, who had a Xanax bar tattooed on his face, and does not appear on this chart, and shouldn't, is having interviews where he's saying that Tupac is boring, it's actually quite offensive, <laughs> especially since Lil Xan is white. He did later apologise for these comments saying that it was just because he was in a bad place and he's also spoken out against the music industry and his manager exploiting him. But it's not quite as simple as this sort of political left-right, the modern and the old dichotomy. It's not the same as Johnny Rotten's I hate Pink Floyd top. Pink Floyd were public schoolboys. Tupac was a communist and seemed pretty serious about it. The kids should know about it because the history of hip-hop and its cultural ascendance is the history of black life in America. I'm not very positive on the people who spent all this time complaining about mumble rap, but at the same time, I think a lot of the anger was misdirected outrage at a valid criticism of the music industry. What they were complaining about was the idea of hip-hop becoming a mass-produced commodity run in order to make a bunch of money for labels and had lost its radical power. There were some really cynical grifters operating at this time, the most damaging of which was Adam22 of No Jumper Podcast, who broke a lot of these guys, but also things like Bad Baby, a blatant attempt to create a pop star out of someone who'd been a reality show meme. How about that? Catch you outside? What does that mean? What I just said. There's a super article about her handler who was a marketing guy who had 
decided to make her a rapper because he couldn't figure out what else she could do. Sort of contributing to the whole idea of rap not really being a skill and it just being talking over other people's songs. She was a low-quality white rapper who rapped barely literate things about driving expensive cars that she was too young to legally own. I do not run, I reload it. No. I do not save it, I throw it. White J's, white Porsche, white wrist. White horse, high bitch, high bitch, high bitch, high bitch. I enjoy Lil Pump's music, but it has nothing to say other than the glorification of Lil Pump and the fact that you can enjoy running around your bedroom feeling like a little brat for a while. Mm -hmm. And it's not wrong to want songs to be about something, you know? It's not wrong to want a great art form, an art form that's been going around since the 1970s, to have appeal to people who are not just under-socialized white suburban teenagers reacting to funny freaks they see on Instagram and record company executives chasing the bottom of the barrel due to their contempt for the audience. I think there is more skill involved in so-called mumble rap than people say. A lot of this stuff did come from the great Lil Wayne. <laughs> Lil Wayne is one of those blessed, miraculous individuals whose vomit draft is worth approaching. And I think for a culture that has mostly been shown creativity through montage, through biopic, through cinema, it takes a while to realise that in order to have something that's worth sharing with people, if you're not gifted by the angels in a way that Wayne is, then you're going to need to bring an awful lot of hard work from that, which does seem to be at odds with the lifestyle and the Xanax-induced sleepwalking approach. One of the other problems here is that there is a certain sort of racial categorization that has grown up around these two modes of creativity. Black music, when it's studied academically, one of the key elements of it is this concept of noise, the timbral qualities of an expressive voice. Oh, yeah, yeah, at last. The skies above are blue. They told me that I was going to end up in MC Leaving mistakes in. You women have heard of jalopies, you've heard the noise they make, but let me reintroduce my new Rocket 88. Let that chop clap and push the nigga head off his neck. Was you watching the news? You saw them in diamonds? Okay, so you know I'm staying facts. Last niggas we was beefing with, uh, man, I can't even think of what cemetery them niggas at. It'll come to me later, it's on the tip of my tongue. Call and response taken from church sermons, shrieks and squeals, this vernacular element of just conversing, just chatting shit. You know, my mama told me to leave Caledonia alone. She said, son, Caledonia's bad for your morale, son. Keep away from her. But mama didn't know I was in love with Caledonia. So I'm going down to Caledonia's house and ask her just one more time. Caledonia! Caledonia! What make your big head so hard? I'm on it. She on it. We on it. They on it. Crackadot spilling all over the bird. Bought her a bird, could have went bought a bird. Sipping on surf, grab my coat, turn and perp. Pardon me, I got my savage on flea. Swapped out the AP and bought the fleet. But gets on her ankle, she walks so we need. Having improvisational elements. Ain't misbehaving, I'm saving my life for you. 
nice kid Die on the dead homies Hitting them licks Whipping the brick Still with the shit I'm young and I'm rich Young and I'm rich The idea of sitting down and mastering something feels very white It goes back to classical music You know, someone like Handel would be sitting scribbling away at his sheet music by candlelight for hours and hours He would go out and he would perform his song perfectly and it would show his mastery The focus on things like greater rhythmic structures and evolving phrase patterns and variations on themes it's my mentality all the way. I'm normally a suicide mission to try this and the one thing that I never mind's getting called Elvis all the time in the articles that you write, which is why I never reply because he died shit. Lil Wayne has I am music tattooed on his head because the music is him. He is the musical project. He is God's flute. <laughs> Everything that he actually does is just a recording, a capturing of some facet of this pure musical energy that he is made of. Cover my tracks like butter so where the bread be? I see beef is dead meat. Who the the president? Yeah me. No one scare me. And you ain't gotta double dare me. Hear me loud and clearly. Rats aren't near me. Wiretap niggas get blood in the earpiece. The reason he's able to be as good as he is and the blues musicians, the jazz, the funk, the old experiential thing of black American music comes from not rehearsal and refining but rehearsal and a mastery of your own instrument. The reason I don't know any other Lil Pump fans is because I think the majority of his fans were just into him because it was funny to see someone like him get famous. Right. <laughs> Part of it was just people not being able to look away. Part of it was just like, oh yeah, let's support this guy. Wouldn't it be funny if he ended up becoming a really famous rapper? Haha, <laughs> there's like that almost... I hate to say it, like the Kantian sort of um, culture jamming element to his boosting. Right. And in a lot of ways, I also think that both of these styles of creativity have a lot to learn from each other. Sure. Lyrical rappers sound a lot better when they're actually looking across what the less lyrical rappers are doing. And at the same time, the less lyrical rappers improve a lot once they start looking over the aisle. Lil Yachty really threw a lot of effort into his work after he got dissed in an album that we're going to mention later. Mm -hmm and how it came out as being a really remarkable creative voice. I had a show in two cities, call me Dallas Austin. When I talk on flossing, the gang bang red beers like Boston. <laughs> Everybody think a nigga lost it. Pop by the cuts, nigga bunny like pollen. Dick up in the gut, make a filly feel Collins. Rather than just someone who would get verses on Bad Baby singles. Gucci flip flops, fake it, hit your bitch in massage. This a big watch, diamonds dripping off of the clock. I got big watch, pussy on real rich. Six cars, two houses, and I'm still all of this comes from the same place ultimately. It doesn't have to be a trade-off of technicality for spontaneity. You can have both. Yeah. So let's get into it then. We've already said that most of these songs are closer clones on this chart. But what's quite interesting is that I Love It is also a song where it's actually been reproduced multiple times on this chart. I'm just going to play a little clip of I Love It for those of you who can't remember what it sounded like since last episode. She take lines. You're such a fucking hoe. I love it. You're such a fucking hoe. I love it. You're such a fucking hoe. When the first.
first time they ask you, you want sparkling or still? Are you trying to act like you was drinking sparkling water before you came out here? You're such a fucking, I'm a sick fuck, I like a quick fuck, I'm a sick fuck. And the two songs on this chart that the most like it are Lucky You with Eminem featuring Joyny Lucas, which is at number 12. Eight miles to the South Pass to the same marshal that outlaw that they say is a writer might have fell off. I'm back on that bull like the cowboy. So y'all gotta move, yeah, y'all gotta move, yeah, y'all gotta move. Give me some room, give me some room, give me the juice. How about the coupe? How about the coupe? How about the shoot? Y'all gotta move, y'all gotta move, give me the juice. And Fefe with 6 9 featuring Nicki Minaj. Trying to 69 like Takashi, call him Papi, worth the ASAP, keep me rocky, I'm from New York so I'm cocky. In the case of those three songs, I love it, Fefe, Lucky You, these are all instances of a rapper who was massive at the beginning of the decade and huge as mainstream pop stars with EDM production and big diva vocals. And we'll do anything when the time's right, uh, baby you're making it. Collaborating with a younger rapper. All of them have a various level of stench of desperation. <laughs> Each rapper is going through a different stage of grief about the loss of their youth. Kanye is in complete denial. He still thinks he's the main character. I'm a sick fuck, I like a quick fuck, I like my dick suck, I buy you a sick truck. Nicki Minaj is bargaining. She thinks if she compromises in this way, she can continue to be the main character. Eminem, predictably, is in anger. But what's new? What did you expect? He's angry that he's lost main character status to such a bunch of cretins. But nothing is feeling like anyone has any fucking ability to even stick to a subject is killing me. The inability to pin humility. It's possibly a bit unfair to call Nicki Minaj middle-aged. She's in her late 30s at this point. Kanye West is really starting to age, but he remains a massively successful celebrity going around with much younger women. Eminem is 45. How do we know? He tells us. Yeah. But I'm 45 and I'm you. At the time when a lot of people from the social class that Eminem came from were all dying of fentanyl, he's not wrong to be proud of it. But he is also the one who seems the oldest out of all of them. He got famous the earliest out of all of them. He was someone who was famous in the 90s. And he's also someone for whom culture has moved completely out of step with what he was initially offering. Nicki and Kanye both got an episode to themselves recently. Eminem has been a bit of a secret main character of this podcast though, but I think it's worth maybe starting from the top with him and seeing where we go. Because 
the reason Lucky You is in this chart is the payoff to a story that has been going on since the 2000s, and we need a lot of context to explain. He basically started off as a shock rapper, but unlike Marilyn Manson, he was much funnier, and he had this obvious influence from another thing that your parents were scared of in the 1990s, which was South Park. Got pissed off and ripped Pamela Lee's tits off and smacked her so hard I knocked her clothes backwards like Chris Paul. He had a massive moral panic about him. Does he actually care about his audience? Does he care that maybe one young person would take that tablet and possibly even die? He changed his persona to be more of a sort of voice saying things that people can't say in order to speak out against right-wing political censorship. Maybe they'll admit it when we're gone. Just let our spirits live on through our lyrics that you hear in our songs then disappeared for a drug addiction and came back from his drug addiction, both rapping in a way that he had not rapped before and seeming to struggle with knowing who he was in a cultural context where nobody was mad at him anymore. He came back first as a really over-the-top campy serial killer. He said at the time that he regretted toning his act down and now wanted to tone it right back up and get everybody mad at him. Just when I went to drink his blood, I thought I ought to drink his bad water. That ought to be fun. That's when my days of serial murder, manslaughter begun. But the only people who got mad were the fans on the message boards who hated it because of its outdated sound and its empty sensationalism. So he ditched the persona. And became a painfully, cheesily, sincere, recovered addict, helping you through your problems. I guess I had to go to that place to get to this one. Now some of you might still be in that place. If you're trying to get out, just follow me. But now people want the old him back, so he bleaches his hair and starts making funnier music again. But as an older version of his original persona, looking back on his past life with regret. Did I take it too far? Cleaning out my closet and all them other songs, but regardless, I don't hate you, cause mom, you're still beautiful to me, cause you're my mom. It always remained commercially successful. But unhip critics said it was okay, but not the glory of his old days. Hip critics hated it. It was almost as if the jagged edge of the dagger with which he used to provoke the world had gone blunt. Or that his ability to seize the moment had always just been an illusion that other people gave him. How could someone who once appeared to be the core of the zeitgeist, the icon of the youth culture, the voice of his generation, suddenly appear to have no idea who he is? The whole time this was going on, he was refining what he is obsessed with, which was the virtuosic element of rap. Insanity, can it be vanity? Where's the humanity in having a twisted fantasy with an arm and leg amputee? I catch a flow and get going, the remorse I'm sowing ain't slowing for no one, knowing there's nothing you can do about it. This flippity gibbity hibbity hip hop, you don't really want to get into a piece of match with this rapity rat pack and a mac in the back of the yak, pack, pack, rap, rap, yap, 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 yap. At a time when hip hop was getting more and more slurry, more and more spontaneous, and with a backlash to the shock humour of the 2000s, in the new age of the internet which led everyone capable of being banned for the wrong choice of words, he seemed like an embarrassing relic. A reminder of the time when millennials would say, that's gay, to say something was bad. 
He got critically savaged for everything he put out. Feminists were getting mad at him, but not in fun ways where he was dangerous, but in ways where they were writing think pieces about him being an old man who needed to stop joking about punching Lana Del Rey. He took five years off to start producing movies, which flopped, and deal with a crisis of confidence and writer's block, which he ended up dramatizing in a lead single for his new album, Revival. The crowds are gone. And it's time to wash out the blonde Sales decline, the curtains drawn They're closing the set, I'm still poking my head from out behind And everyone who has doubt, remind Now take your best rhyme, outdo it Now do it a thousand times Now let them tell you the world no longer cares Or gives a fuck about your rhymes The song was critically panned Including by our friend Jason Green at Pitchfork, who we last saw calling Ed Sheeran a hideous gremlin, complaining that Eminem used to be funny. Hip-hop listeners hated it too. Rappers are generally supposed to talk about how great they are, not about how shit they are. <laughs> As a lead single, this was an insane choice, but what a privilege to get to hear something like this, a legitimate top 10 pop hit that is about how no one listens to your music anymore. Who else would do that? Who else would have the opportunity? So Revival came out, but the combination of aggressively commercial pop production and the hyper-technical lyricism done in the voice of a former youth culture icon now sounding audibly physically, biologically aged, was very difficult to listen to. I had really steady impact, but now we're on a path headed to nowhere and fast. Another terrorist attacks like a tariff, blows half of Madison Square up. Alas, we perish in the blast that isn't scaring us. We pass knowing we're fearless, cause we're just... Ashes blowing in the air, our on fire, but we don't care didn't help that he promoted the album by repeatedly insulting and standing against Donald Trump. He's going to get rid of all immigrants. He's going to build that thing up taller than this. Well, if he does build it, I hope it's rock solid with bricks. Because like him in politics, I'm using all of his tricks. Because I'm throwing that piece of shit against the wall till it sticks. Now, that seems like it should be a good thing, right? Because Donald Trump sucks and it's obviously correct for Eminem to hate him. But it was a difficult strategic decision to make because a lot of Eminem's fans in America were primarily white, working-class people, demographics considered to be very attractive to Trump. Of course, a lot of that is an illusion. A lot of those white, working-class people who loved Eminem and loved Trump were actually middle-class people cosplaying cowboy hats and guns. Revival's politics, which were very much the selling point of the album, ended up being something that could not have been more precision-engineered to piss absolutely everybody off. I can't say that the politics of the album are incoherent. They are, in fact, very thoughtful, even where I disagree with them. But in one song, he'll be saying trans rights. He looks like a canary with a beak. Why you think he banned transgenders from the military with a tweet? He's trying to divide us. This and then in the next song, he'll be joking about raping women who he dislikes. Dog, how the fuck 
Cause Ivanka jump in the trunk of my car In the next song, he'll be standing in agro-solidarity with people on minimum wage I think about it and I'm enraged Cause I just figured out that if I was paid For the time I spent to put the pin to the page It'd be minimum wage But it's embedded in my head I never hunted for the bread and butter What I wanted was to be the one that they was scared about In the song after that, he'll be saying that the welfare state makes people lazy But I still remember the days of minimum wage for general labor Welfare recipients is a minor Look how government assistance is major in one song, he'll claim that America is founded on white supremacy and can never get over this original sin. In a country that claims that its foundation was based on United States ideals that had its natives killed, got you singing this star-spangled spiel to a piece of cloth that represents a land of the free that made people slaves to build. And in the next song, he'll be saying that America is the best country in the world and all we need to do is just get rid of this one guy named Donald Trump. Let's start from zero. This is our renewal. Straight tank, get rid of. Get a brand new better America. And here's to where it it comes off as the internal monologue of a man who feels himself being pulled in many directions, having his political opinions swayed between his own lived experiences and between things that people are telling him. And on top of that, you also get his painfully Gen X free speech politics compromising that. Around the turn of the millennium, social conservatives were really angry about the idea of swearing in pop music, something Eminem obviously enjoyed doing. He still seems to believe that conservatives are rattled by vulgarity despite the insane vulgarity of the president. The truth is, though, the vulgarity did end up winding up the conservatives of the time because Donald Trump sent goons to Eminem's house and he literally wrapped his anti-Trump lyrics back in the face of the FBI members, which is, like, incredibly cool. But it's incredibly out of step with the declarative good taste of 2017. Eminem's gifts could not be more in conflict with that aesthetic. Eminem has always been about bad taste done as well as you possibly can. He's not about good taste done badly. In 2018, Eminem put out Kamikaze, an album that was a response to the negative feedback to Revival, and Pitchfork compared him to Donald Trump wanting to make rap great again. A screaming old white man, really angry about the way culture is going and furious at the kids. Everyone seems to remember Donald Trump as being really angry all the time, but he actually wasn't. He was just smarmy and prissy. With Kamikaze, he isn't insulting younger people. He is going more after critics. Again and again, he says that those are the ones that are within his crosshairs. He does specifically name check places like Pitchfork and the Grammys. You also know that a lot of the people who he's insulting here are actually just like podcasters. Charlemagne the God and DJ Academics, these sort of like very low rent hip hop vultures, basically who were responsible for launching a lot of these attention-seeking rappers who went mega-mainstream into the mainstream, a lot of whom later ended up associating themselves with the far right. They ended up on Rumble. The specifics, though, of what he's going out for and after is less important than the message of the entire album, 
which is grappling not only with staying relevant, which is very important to Eminem, the material side of it, the sales, the large fan base, that's allowed him to become the artist that he is and has been an incredible affirmation of his artistic project for him having come from the trailer park. This is also a tangle with the very idea of remaining artistic in his own head. So while the slights might be, might be towards Little Yachty or someone like that, even though he doesn't necessarily diss them, the entire thing is, I am a master of my craft. How do I continue to marry my abilities, which are recognized almost universally to be extremely proficient above many other people within the game? How do I continue to do that and yet remain a passionate artist with emotions and something to express? I won't say that Revival was a hubristic opportunity. It was a form of self-expression that probably came at the wrong time and collaborated with the wrong people. The success after success from Recovery to Marshall Mavis LP2 probably brought him into a place where he was he had earned the right to experiment and experimentation from someone of his kind of artistic genre wasn't welcome at that stage for many reasons, including his age, including his um, well-noted issues in the past with misogyny and homophobia. It's very easy to hit onto those when criticising Eminem and when he goes against someone like Donald Trump as part of this opening up and bringing in of new musical sounds and the admission of fallibility on a lead single, which was quite new for him with Water on Water. All of that meant that Revival... While not his worst album by any stretch of the imagination, mm. um, it also meant that there was probably a clipping of the wings that needed to happen to make him re-examine what he was doing. And that's what Tamikaze brought. I bet a hundred thousand bucks you'll turn around and just be like, man, how the fuck Sourpuss gonna get mad just because his album sucks and now he wants to take it out on us? Well, last week, an ex-fan mailed me a copy of the Mathis LP to tell me to study. It'll help me get back to myself and she'll love me. I mailed the bitch back and said if I did that, I'd just be like everyone else in the fucking industry, especially an effing recovery clone of me. Nothing. So, finger bang, chicken wang, EGK, Igaze, low pump, low sand, imitate little Wayne. I should aim at everybody in the game, pick a name. Also, anyone acting like this was new for Eminem had not been paying attention. Right from the very beginning, he was fighting with critics. In fact, one of the kind of reviews of Kamikaze, which got mixed reviews, was someone suggesting that maybe Kamikaze was the real Marshall Mothers LP2 due to the similarities of its actual themes, insulting teen pop stars. As well as making fun of music journalists who wrote rude things about him. And he was already, as early as 2000, a hip hop purist who thinks it wasn't as good as in his day. Watching all these cheap imitations get rich off them and get dollars It should have been theirs like they switched wallets And amidst all this crisp popping and wristwatches I just sit back and just watch and just get nauseous In a world where hip-hop broadly replaced rock as the spine for pop 
a social change that Eminem did not start but certainly catalyzed. Mouseketeers were getting replaced with people like Bad Baby and Playboy Carti. Maybe the insults have to change too. Anyway, let's talk about Nicki. We talked about Nicki Minaj a bit in our previous episode as well with Barbie World, where I mentioned both how brilliant she she was and how much things started to slide down for her. And her collaborations with Takeshi69 are very easy to identify as where she suddenly walked off the end of the cliff. In Fefe, her rapping is better than it was on Barbie World. She sounds much more like herself. And Nikki, I didn't get the chance to say this before, she casually put out her best album in 2018 at a time when she'd been largely written off as just being a pop crossover artist. Misogyny, obviously, has been a big part of why Nikki isn't taken as seriously as a rapper as she perhaps should be. On Queen, she barely sings a note. It's a tighter, more coherent more fun, more skilled body of work than anything she'd put out before. And nobody cared because the centre of gravity had moved to the rage music. It had moved to this this sort of anti-lyrical stuff. It had moved to trap. It had moved to Migos. I quite genuinely hate the fact that Fefe, which was also on Queen, peaked in the charts at number 17 while Chun-Li which was the lead single for Queen, and is a basically perfect song. A love letter to improbable female video game character proportions and cultural appropriation. And it only managed to scrape a number 26. I went and caught the chopsticks, put it in my bun just to pop shit. I'm always in the top shit. Box seats, bitch, fuck the gossip. It didn't even get in the top 20. Be ashamed of yourselves. I think through that, all of them do manage to express themselves as artists, including Kanye, even if it's in an ugly way. Uh, as you say, Nitty does a really great job of rapping here. She sounds like she belongs on this track with 6ix9ine. It's an interesting flow for 6ix9ine. Generally speaking, in his songs and the ones that he'd been famous for before this, he's constantly screaming his head off. But here he has a low monotone flow that sounds a bit more like almost a Drake type vocal. Again, going into this kind of streaming generica that <laughs> the rest of our chart is in. I'm not really feeling him on here and while I would certainly not describe myself as being a 6ix9ine fan, but a lot of his other songs do have that sort of brat energy that I've already said I look for in rappers, and it's relatively absent here. 
I don't think his bad taste lines are anywhere near as efficiently bad taste as Pump's. I also think he's pretty conclusively blown off the track by Nikki. Absolutely he is. Nikki just comes in with all of her virtuosity, all of her energy. And the second that she starts doing her thing, I forget that 6 9 was on here. The fact that he has fallen into line with everybody else and no longer has that punk screamo thing that first made him distinctive <laughs> is obviously a shame here. But I think even if he was bringing the milieu of which he was most comfortable, um, he'd still just be a footnote to what Nikki does here. Yeah, it's also not just that Nikki is better than him, technically. She's also grosser. Yeah. Like that line, um... Like, not only has she got that pun on the crisps, Lay's <laughs> chips, yeah. but she's also, like, asking her laser hair removal technician to eat her out on the chair that's that's sick that's that's horrible <laughs> you know six nine can't say anything that gross the painfully obvious misogyny like it's not even really interesting there's no real new shock value here apart from the fact that if he's talking about how if the girl doesn't want to fuck him and nikki then he's gonna kick her out which considering his involvement in rape is really you know, it's not even like close enough about that situation for it to be legitimately um, button pushing, but it's close enough to it to make it feel really just bad. Yeah. There's nothing in here as fun as what he was doing later on in 2020 after he ended up ratting out the nine trade bloods and then put out a song in which he his face morphed into an animoji rat in the video. Yeah. That was legitimately button pushing to an extent that is borderline suicidal. That I respect, although it's like shitty. Niggas always wanna chase cop, bitch I am clout. Tell him get up on my face now, fuck Are you dumb, stupid or dumb? Huh? Play me like a dummy like bitch. Are you dumb? Are you dumb? Stupid or dumb? Huh? Yeah, you got some money, but you still fuck out stupid. Yeah. The equivalent of Henry Hill made famous from Goodfellas film, the adaptation of his uh, memoir. He made a living in later life selling paintings of rats online. you got to respect that sort of hustle. 6ix9ine also in his later lawsuit talked all the time about how 6ix9ine was just a character and he actually wasn't like this at all. Something I do believe and then went straight back to being in character as that character <laughs> as soon as he was removed from prison. And again, I do actually agree with why they did this. It was removed from prison and put under house arrest in order to protect him from a COVID pandemic that had been running through the prison system. And of course, like there were many prisoners who did get unnecessarily killed by COVID. COVID was just allowed to run completely wild through the American prison population. And it was mm -hmm. one of the great scandals of our time. And like as someone who basically believes in human rights, I'm glad that 6 9 was protected from that. But at the same time, it's just disgusting because you know he got that special treatment because he was famous. Of course. 
Yeah. Nikki brings so much more to this song than 6 9 She uses the same flow that he does, which is something that happens in all of these old rapper, young rapper team-ups to a certain extent. But she is able to put a bit more colour into it in her voice. When she's doing that little flow with the pitchy up and down syllables, there's there's a real bounce to it, a real energy that 6 9 can't do, which is weird because the one thing 6 9 is good at is energy. Yeah, but the thing is, he's trying to paint with the same colours as everybody else at this stage. This seems to be his commercial song. He's gotten on this, to his eyes, old timer on here to bring a credibility that hasn't been with him so far. So this does seem to me to be a reach towards the, the mainstream, the middle of the road for 6 9 yeah, 6 9 would not continue to be much of a feature. He's certainly not having hits anymore. Nicki Minaj still is. The old-timer is winning. <laughs> exactly. And that has kind of proven true across all of these, where they have Vampire Light taking on the energy of the younger person. There isn't really a case where the young person has eclipsed the older star. No. I'm not really sure it's fair to say that it's vampiric. There's something else going on here. I'm willing to point to technology. Basically, as soon as streaming started to get factored into the charts, you started getting these very anonymous hits where people would not actually stick around for long enough after they had their little craze. Kanye and Eminem both became incredibly famous during the last gasps of American monoculture. They had support from television back when people watched television. Nicki Minaj came in off the back of like the first wave of music that was huge off the internet. She was a Lil Wayne protege after he generated so much goodwill with his unstoppable mixtape run of the late 2000s that he could have launched anybody. And one of the things that Nicki, Kanye and Eminem have in common is that they all have fans who really relate to them as people. They all feel very emotionally involved with them and their journeys. I'm not really sure that there were a lot of people who were terribly emotionally invested in 6 9 because 6 9 and Lil Pump's personas were not really there to make you emotionally engage with them. They were just there to make you watch them to see what they were going to do next. You can't imagine either of them putting out more emotional work like Kanye, Nicki and Eminem all have done. Even the hatred is more invested. People have been mad at Eminem for being homophobic for 20 years. People are always going to be mad at Kanye for whatever his latest antics are. The kind of empty hate that was being courted by 6 9 doesn't seem to have the same intrigue to it as the more complicated hate. So between I Love It and Fefe, we've got one song where the old rapper is completely awful and ruins it. And we've got one song where the new rapper is completely awful and ruins it. So shall we go on to Lucky You when neither of those things happen? Yeah, <laughs> this is a lovely meeting of the minds. These guys are charismatically on the same level. Joyner is intelligent enough not to be in awe of the, the older legend. He brings his own flavour to the party, going back to the fact that a lot of these younger guys come from a Latino community. He very much references that. They say I talk like a chulo. They say I talk like a chulo. chulo. 
I live in Mars, I'm not Bruno. <laughs> Bitch, I'm a duck, call me Cujo. <laughs> and he literally raps a couple of lyrics in Spanish. Which is something Jesse Reyes, who we met in the first half of this episode, also does in one of her guest appearances on Eminem's album. There's definitely this awareness from Eminem and his camp that the center of gravity is moving to Latin America rather than white America. And it makes for excellent new flavour and as an Eminem fan it's easy to get caught up on the way people duet with him I think the most recent version of this not to get too deep into the easy mill tries very very hard to just be Eminem without the enunciation whereas here I mean, instead of being in awe in him the way logic would be or uh, to try and take the logic center of gravity so bad on his collaboration with Eminem like <laughs> I Homicide but with which is Eminem's collaboration with Logic is only worth listening to because it's Logic's retirement party and so okay fine if it's your retirement party you are allowed to hog the karaoke machine and do and do your version of lose yourself and force everyone <laughs> to listen to it but it's you know he really has very little to contribute Eminem just kind of spirals off because he's got no ego to check him in and it's it's ugly Whereas here, Joyner holds his own. He's aware that he is a star here. And musically, it's that same thing that we spoke about has happened on No Love a few episodes ago, whereas it's almost difficult to believe that the beat remains the same as they go because the way they bounce off it is so very different. And the lyrical approach, Joyner is very clever to not get caught up on wordplay or trying to do involved puns to the third degree. Whereas the second that Eminem comes in, he goes straight for it. I do a couple of mentions, still I don't have any manners. I got a couple of mentions, still I don't have any manners. A pun that missed me for probably the first 300 times. What? Um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm slow, Holly. You'll have to excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's true at all for two reasons. First of all, I think they're using the same flow here. And second of all, the beat does in fact change between the two rappers. Well, now I've edged on my face. I don't take back what I say. If I said it, then I meant it. All my life I won a Grammy, but I probably never get it. I ain't never had no trophy or no motherfucking ribbon. Fuck the system. I'm that nigga. Bend the law. Cut the rules. I'm about to risk it all. I ain't got too much to lose. This is payback in a way. I regret it that I did it. I don't want a couple Grammys, but I sold my soul to get them. Wasn't in it for the trophies, just the fucking recognition. Fuck's a difference. I'm that cracker. Been the law. Fuck the rules. Man, I used to risk it all. Now I got too much to lose. I've been eating. Over Eminem's part, he brings in a classical piano. At this time, Eminem was trying to market himself as going back to the old him, insulting pop stars and getting into fights and being embarrassing at the VMAs. The use of classical piano actually goes back to his old clap style, the classical rap stuff that was this attempt at fusing white Western classical music with the sounds of hip-hop in order to represent both his racial identity and the gothic horror idea of Slim Shady. Obviously, plasticky, synthetic, classical music was used as the motif for another completely lunatic serial killer, white man-child.
which basically means that the homophobe of hip-hop had his entire musical style invented by a trans woman. Here, though, the best way I can describe it is Eminem sends Joyner Lucas out like a marathon runner would use a pacemaker. Joyner raps about how he doesn't have any awards yet. He raps about his status, which at this time was he was an indie artist who'd had a viral Facebook hit called I'm Not Racist. You can't escape problems. You could pray for some change, but can't break a dollar. Got nobody else to blame, so you blame Donald. He fucked the world with a Make America Great Connor. My voice been back. I'm not racist. My sister's boyfriend's black. I'm not racist. My sister-in-law's baby cousin Tracy got a brother and his girlfriend's black. My head's in the cloud. Heard it's not enough jobs for all the men in your house. Maybe we should build a wall to keep the Mexicans out. Or maybe we should send them all to the ghetto for now. I'm not racist. A lot of the lyrics in I'm Not Racist are in fact about responses to Eminem's anti-Trump freestyle, which was enormously mocked by the hip-hop community because of its not very good opening lines. <laughs> Joyner praises it. When Eminem went against Trump, that was the illest. Because even though he's white, he let us know he's standing with us. If you want to be uncharitable about the reason that Eminem glommed onto Joyner, it might be that he was the only one of the young musicians who was saying positive things about Eminem instead of joining in on the dog pile, like Tyler and Earl Sweatshirt. But I think Jesse Reyes's presence on Kamikaze suggests it's more because Joyner was able to make a song that had a huge impact with people through voicing this odious racist character trust the audience to believe that it was satire that he was playing this character being ridiculous you still trapped in a rut and i work my ass off and pay my taxes for what so you can keep living on free government assistance food stands for your children but you still trying to sell them for some weed and some liquor what made eminem fall in love with jesse reyes was hearing her on tv sing her song gatekeeper in which she sings in character as her own rapist. Oh, I'm the gatekeeper, spread your legs, open up, you could be famous. Wait till five years down the road and you're failing. Keep fucking these regular dudes that are nameless. Don't you know, don't you know that we are the gatekeepers? This is basically the kind of satire that Eminem's act was always based on. And it was a kind of satire that was in danger of dying out completely in 2018. If we're using language that has been taken by the right, these were artists who were not afraid to get cancelled. I think that's why he liked them. It shows that Eminem has a different idea about how to use the young generation than I think Kanye and Nicki do. They feel very much like they're trying to glom onto a fad, while Eminem still feels like he has enough of a platform, enough of a presence, that maybe he can nudge people's tastes back towards what he personally likes, which is... Turns out to be what Joyner Lucas is doing here. It's great seeing a rapper who can actually, like, elevate what he is doing in order to deal with a guest feature instead of just sitting around talking about how great it is that he landed the feature, which is one of the things that Easy yeah. Mill does. <laughs> but when Eminem takes over, you do also, unfortunately, see two things. Like, one thing is that Joyner Lucas still sounds more spontaneous. There's a sloppiness to his fast passages that Eminem, by this point, does not have. It is rehearsed to absolute perfection. But the other thing is that Eminem is clearly a better rapper <laughs> like he puts an emphasis on the word clowns such that he has to steal 
a little bit of the room in the bar for that are coming up and it creates this feeling of him sort of like um, rattling against the cages of his beat rather than just being completely wedded to it even though the timing of everything else is completely on the beat and it's almost metronomic when he does the fast flow he is able to escalate it mm -hmm. beyond what Joyner is doing because he does this clever thing where he concentrates on his consonants such that it creates a gap in the flow of air coming out of his mouth and creates the illusion of rests <laughs> in the lines, even though he's actually just hitting every syllable. Inevitable, they don't a button to press it, whatever the pull to give me the snap though. And if I paid attention, I'm probably making it bigger, but you've been taking your dicks on a fucking back hole. And then then he gets even faster. Eminem's fast rapping is written off as a gimmick, but here it's actually very aesthetically beautiful and meaningful in terms of the actual lyrics he's using. He's rapping about a kind of panicked suicidal ideation. And it has a bit of added resonance when you remember that Eminem actually did attempt to kill himself in the 1990s and did so by taking an overdose of acetaminophen, which is American for paracetamol. The euphony is so beautiful as well. If you actually read this stuff out normal yeah. speed, it would still sound great. Because even if I got to end up eating a pill again, even ketamine or methamphetamine with the mini-thin... I mean, mini-thins, by the way, a form of ephedrine supplement that is illegal now, um, which was sold as a weight loss supplement. A lot of Detroit rappers rap about using these incredibly low rent drugs. I think BFB to Pac-Man is the most famous one recently with Honey Pack. Just in case they try to kill me, baby, COD. Honey Pack, stop working. Now I'm back to popping ease on ease. Is there any other pilot laureate of chemical names out there? I don't think there is. <laughs> to, to, to go from ketamine, methamphetamine with the minothin. By the way, the syllables roll off your tongue like a barrel rolling down a hill towards a giant ape. Like there's something uncontrollable when you start to read this rhythm out loud. You can't help but find a flow there. Eminem uses Joyner's accent <laughs> at the beginning of his verse. And mm -hmm. though Eminem has often used accents and things like that, it's it's a little in bad taste. You got a couple of ghostwriters, but to these kids, it don't actually matter. I think that there's a element to him helpless in the face of accents. I've seen interviews where he's spoken to people who are from the north of England and he's just locked in and you can almost see him try and stop it in the same way in interviews yes. will try and stop himself from rhyming. Eminem, welcome back to your son. You're becoming a right regular here. Welcome back to work. The show's called the Ozone. Oh, Ozone. Yeah, remember, Ozo. remember we've met before. Ozone. Yeah. Not Ozone. Ozone. Yeah, I think that he's decided to musically do what Joyner has to link the two together and the accent has just fallen in. I bet he even tried not to do it in that Latina style. I don't know. I think in a lot of ways this is just Eminem's persona. Stuff like that was what did in Iggy Azalea's career. But with Eminem, he can get away with it because his persona has always been that of a sort of a clown, like a jester of hip hop yeah. commentating yeah. on it. The other interesting thing here, and I don't know how many people noticed this, is the fact that towards the end of the verse, 
he compares the idea of his critical and commercial fading to the rains pouring down in California, referencing the drought that was happening due to climate change. It's the moment y'all been waiting for, like California was raining pour, and that drought y'all been praying for my downfall. That is actually imagery that appears throughout the rest of that album. One minute your body and shit, but then your audience splits. You can already sense the climate is starting to shift to these kids you no longer exist. Went from raining cats and dogs in this bitch to tiny drops, little drips. And by the time your rain is over, you'll hardly be missed. When Eminem was touring around the turn of the millennium, he used his private plane to travel to his tour venues, then go back and pick his daughter up from school every single day. The combined carbon emissions of that, can you even imagine? Like, think of all the shit that Taylor Swift gets right yeah. now for her private jet use. Imagine that multiplied multiple times just so this guy could see his kid. The uh, concern about the smog that he has released into the actual atmosphere finds mirror in his concern for what he's done to the cultural atmosphere, yeah. for example, on Venom. It's a really interesting progression from the character he was 20 years ago, where he was concerned with the idea that his lyrics would poison kids in terms of their actual behaviour. Now he's worried that he's poisoned kids by making them think it is okay to go up to a mic while being white and having no direct claim to the culture and just making funny noises and dissing everyone famous and getting really high on the mic and selling the drug lifestyle back to a bunch of 10-year-olds and using violence and misogyny as shock value. Knowing that people who take those values seriously do exist and they think you're talking about them and generally doing everything that made him famous. Now probably ruined your parents' life and your childhood too Cause if I'm the music that y'all grew up on I'm responsible for you retarded fools I'm the super villain dad and mom is losing their marbles too You marvel that Eddie Brock is you And I'm the suit so call me It's easily the most political song out of all of these even as it does go into the old man waving his fist at the youngsters a little bit too much. Like when he's when he's criticizing the kids for wearing face tattoos and shit. It's like it's like your friend Wayne has face tattoos. Your friend Royce has a face tattoo. Bizarre from D12 had a face tattoo. Like you can't really mean that shit, can you? No. But no, he's he's willing to say that because that's the stuff that people have been saying. I'm not sure it can actually be his opinion. He wants to bring back Master Ace. And like Master Ace is dope, but like kids don't be trying. This drink cause I'm flying. Typical 99 rappers wanna kill the sound ill. Because if I'm the brains with a drill, check it. Alright then, should we move on, Holly? So another song that happened on Kamikaze was a song called Not Alike, a production by legendary trap Wunderkind Tay Keith, who is probably the youngest person to ever produce for Eminem. And maybe it's Tay's youth, but he's able to get Eminem to start rapping in the new style and leave his verbal box of Meccano alone. 
That's how much we have in common. Yeah. That's how much we have in common. Whoa. Up on this mic when we're on it. Yeah. That's how much we have in common. Yeah. That's how much we have in common. Whoa. That's how much we have in common. We are not alike. There's not alike us on the mic. The song is pretty fun. It's one of the highlights of the album. But where Eminem really gets going is when he starts ragging on a particular white rapper named Machine Gun Kelly. Oh, you run the streets, huh? Now you wanna come and fuck with me, huh? This little cocksucker, he must be feeling himself. He wants to keep up his tough demeanor. So he does a feature, decides to team up with Nina. But next time, you don't gotta use Tech 9 if you wanna come at me with a submachine gun. And I'm talking to you, but you already know who the fuck you are, Kelly. Machine Gun Kelly had been a Diddy protege from the Midwest, white rapper who'd been spotted because he was taking no prisoners in Ohio-based rap battles. He unfortunately was only ever a minor prospect for much of his career, generally regarded as being an Eminem clone mm. at a time when Eminem was more critically perspected than he was by the time of Kamikaze. Super Saiyan, I'm saying, I ain't have a plan coming out the land, hanging with my man, trying to slang a gram, just to rent a van, just to try and tour, turn some kind of clothing into couture, steal money from the sore, look at all that I've endured, all them years I couldn't afford, friends are in the morgue, we are not the same, say the fucking name. Machine Gun Kelly responded to the diss against him with a full-length diss called Rap Devil, which appears on our chart at number 30. Dad's always mad, cooped up in the studio, yelling at the mic. You sober and bored, huh? I know. I'm about to be 46 years old, dog. Talking about, I'ma call up Trick Trick. Man, you sound like a bitch, bitch. Man, I can handle your shit. You mad about something I said in 2012? Took you six years and a surprise album just to come with a diss? It's difficult, Holly, to approach this as music for me. I find myself looking at it like a, a boxing match which I think is probably intention that Eminem would want to take from there but let's not get caught up on it I did listen to this as a piece of music and it's pretty enjoyable I think Machine Gun Kelly is I'll be honest I hate his pop punk stuff I fully loathe it she is a monster in disguise and she knows all the words to the trap songs takes pics with the cherry red lipstick as someone who outed himself as a pop punk apologist on our last episode, he does it just as well as anyone else. His track with Willow Smith, if he'd released that in 1999, it would have been a shoo-in for the American Pie soundtrack. But he is a better rapper. He is a better musician in that side of the ledger than he is on the place that arguably Eminem would force him to go. I think his performance on Rap Devil is very solid, actually. It's musical and it's it's witty and he gets some really solid insults in there. This is a good record. There's absolutely no debate in it. And I love his cadence. I like the pauses that he builds in. Homie, we get it. We know that you're the greatest rapper alive. Fucking dweeb, all you do is read the dictionary and stay inside. Fuck rap god, I'm the rap devil. Come a bare face with a black shovel like the Armageddon. When the smoke settle, his body next to this instrumental, I'm saying. It's an unhurried one and the idea of this being called mumble rap is patently absurd. Machine Gun Kelly is in fact the opposite of a mumble rapper. If anything, he falls within the somewhat imagined category of the athletic Eminem-inspired white rappers. A lot of this stuff doesn't look great on the page, which is quite common for rap lyrics and we shouldn't cost him any points for that, but I do really like the way he rhymes 
discovered me, younger me, and ugly. Hello, Marshall. My name's Colson. You should go back to recovery. I know your ego is hurting just knowing that all of your fans discovered me. He's like, damn, he a younger me. Except he dresses better and I'm ugly. Oh. And then carries on with that thuggery, luxury, done to me, cousin me, love with me. Stop all the thuggery, Marshall. You living in luxury. Hey, look what you've done to me. Drop an album just because of me. Damn, you in love with me. You sense why it is that this guy was absolutely tearing up rap clubs in Ohio. Yeah, the charismatic piece, it really is. Seeing him in the video, there is a dead shot quality to his eyes. He's not as physically appealing as someone to watch move through life as some other mega stars might be. But on the microphone and in the context of this song, which is all we should be judging him on, I think that, yeah, he is absolutely a magnetic presence here. He also raps in his own accent. It's a slightly hickish accent. The accent of a guy from Cleveland mm -hmm. who travelled around a lot in his youth. You hear that done unapologetically. There's a working classness to this. Mm -hmm. When he put this track out... He made some tweets saying that he was fighting for his millennial generation. He wanted to punch Eminem in the eye in order to reclaim rap from him because he'd been dominating the scene for so long. And it is quite obscene just how popular he remains, even as other rappers have emerged with completely different projects. A lot of hip-hop heads don't really want Eminem because they view him as being more of a pop star. A lot of Eminem fans, conversely, will not listen to any other rappers, and it's easy to suggest that perhaps the skin colour has something to do with it. But they're not listening to Machine Gun Kelly either, to be fair. His irritation with Eminem is due to his accusations that Eminem Eminem, in fact, blackballed him from appearing on the radio station that he owns. Let's talk about the fact you actually blackballed a rapper that's twice as young as you. Let's call Sway, ask why I can't go up to Shape 45 because of you. Let's ask Interscope how you had Paul Rosenberg trying to shelf me. Still can't cover up the fact your last four albums as bad as yourself. He also is angry at Eminem for his incredibly brittle and fragile ego where he can't take criticism while dishing it out. One of Eminem's worst personality traits since the 90s. They told me you mad about a tweet. You wanted me to say sorry. I swear to God, I ain't believe him. Please say it ain't so. The big bad bully of the rap game can't take a fucking joke. And Kells uses it as a jumping off point to attack other elements of Eminem's persona, such as his love of his daughter, which he calls out as being hypocritical because he doesn't care about Colson's ability to look after his own. And don't be a sucker and take my verse off of Yellow Wolf's album. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to feed my daughter. You try to stop the money to support her. But at the same time, Kells never loses sight of the fact that he's going after a man who is considered to be one of the greatest musicians in his medium and therefore uses it as an excuse for braggadocio. He's unseating the rap god. He's a rap heretic. But he's also the new Slim Shady. He is what we used to think Eminem represented before he had to ruin it. Every rapper that's up under me know that I'll never do you like this fuckery. Still bitter after everyone loves you. Pull that wedgie out your dungarees. There's some great details. I really love when he does a funny little impersonation of Eminem when he mocks the hook of the very cringy, not afraid. <laughs> to me, you were soft as a feather, the type to be scared to ask Rihanna for a number, just hold her umbrella, Ella, Ella. I'm not afraid. He's careful to change the tune so he doesn't have to pay songwriter royalties for it. But he plays it into this idea of this criticism for Eminem for going way too poppy and losing his former self, and basically just not being good enough anymore. You got an Oscar, damn, can anyone else get some food in their mouth for real? They made a movie about you. You and everybody's top ten. You're not getting better with time, it's fine. 
Mum's spaghetti, rabbit, Stan, Kim. Won't the real Slim Shady please stand up? This is not particularly deep cut. Despite how long it is, there is a bit of filler. Yeah. Hey. Ride a shoddy cause I got a road is dope It's a fast road When your idols become your rivals yeah. Never hesitate to say it to your face I'm an asshole oh Bitch ass motherfucker There's a bit of like empty filler braggadocio Which you sense could have just been in any track But I think this is a solid track I know after this came out Obi Trice actually opined that this was the hardest diss track that Eminem had ever been hit with. And yeah. it is true. It is. There's some other strategies he uses in this, though, that are a bit more questionable. Particularly his decision to spend a lot of the song complimenting him. But we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, from Rap Devil then... It sat out there and existed in the world. And then Eminem came back with Killshot, which is also on these charts. Your red sweater, your black leather, you dress better, I rap better. That a death threater, a love letter. Little white toothpick thinks it's over a pick. I just don't like you, prick. Thanks for dissing me. Now I had an excuse on the mic to write, not a light. But really, I don't care who's on the right, but you're losing the fight you pick. Yes, Killshot is directly beneath Lucky You at number 13, which is very convenient. It's likely that people were restreaming Kamikaze because they were so hyped up by Killshot, which yeah. is the most commercially successful diss track of all time. The hip-hop track with the most views on YouTube without having an accompanying video. Right. And until 2020, it was the biggest debut for a hip-hop song on YouTube, eventually outdone by Goober by 6 9 which I've already talked about. That's the one where his face turns into the rat. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, any attempt to really talk about Killshot turns into, like, deep wordplay spotting. So let's try and handle it in such a way that we're not doing that. The song is designed so that every time you listen to it, you catch a new clever pun, a new clever reference, a new clever insult. And I mean, I've got personal favourite details. I particularly like, you know, Machine Gun Kelly suggested, Hello Marshall, my name's Colson, you should go back to recovery. Hello Marshall, my name's Colson, you should go back to recovery. Eminem yep. actually changes that to, Slim, your last four albums suck, go back to recovery. Yo Slim, your last four albums suck, go back to recovery. Oh shoot, that was three albums ago, what do you know? Oops, know your facts before you come at me, little goof. As if he's like subtly saying, you don't have the right to call me by my <laughs> first name. <laughs> Such a subtle little detail, but it's so good. Yeah, and I'm really, you know, straight to the point with my favourite part of this, where he's, uh, um, till I'm hitting old age, can fill a whole page of a ten-year-old's rage. Till I'm hitting old age, still can fill a whole page with a ten-year-old's rage. It <laughs> uses such conventional language, but he hits the same rhyme three times. Till I'm hitting old age, still can fill a whole page with a ten-year-old's rage. So, fuck. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> Without getting drawn into the genius notes, which anyone can look up for themselves there, as you say, that's not what we're going to discuss. We're not going to get into the weeds on this. We have here a pretty virtuosic, genuinely angry sounding vocal performance. He strays back a little bit in, in occasions to the, uh, the kind of pure, you know, unhappy anger, something mm. like the way I am in some of this. 
but just brought to his older voice with more depth to it. He's completely lost the whine that he had as his youth. He didn't speak up in this register anymore. He doesn't feel the need to be that character. In fact, if you compare it to his vocal performance on Lucky You, when he starts his verse on Lucky You, he is in fact doing a very whiny yeah. voice. Yeah, I done said a lot of things in my day. I admit it. I admit it. This is payback in a way. I regret it that I did it. I here, there's none of that. He doesn't sound like he's ashamed about his age here. In some ways, I think this is the first time he actually figures out a persona for an older Slim Shady that isn't just him sort of rehearsing the past or him trying to break away from the past. It's this idea of him as just being like a chaos uncle, just showing up to football practice and embarrassing the nephew. Mm -hmm. where he doesn't really go that hard with any of the insults. Your reply got the crowd yelling, woo, so before you die, let's see who can out petty who with your corny lines. Slim, you're old, out Kelly, ooh, but I'm 45 and I'm still out selling you. Especially compared to some of his older diss tracks when he was younger, where he was doing stuff that under UK law would be considered to be incitement to violence. So this is what we ask of our fans. If you ever see ever last, whoop his ass. Hit him with sticks, bricks, rocks, throw shit at him. Kick it, spit on him, treat him like a hoe. Bitch slap him. Do it for me, do it for Fred, do it for Lip, do it for Rock, do it for Rat, do it for Kid, do it for Ice T, do it just to do it. Fuck it, he's a bitch, he ain't gonna hit you back, he's nothing. This is someone who knows that it's just a beef between millionaires and <laughs> is going to have some fun with that. Yeah. You know, dad isn't mad. You know, that's one of the lines that he uses there. Son, listen, man, dad isn't mad, but how you gonna name yourself after a damn gun and have a man bun? That's how he's kind of stuck with since, you know, his talking to Generation Z <laughs> on his most recent track. It's that same, I'm exasperated by you, but I know you're purposely being annoying in some ways. I've done it as well. Gen Z is acting like rap experts. Sip up the gaps and close your mouths. Yeah. Bitch, you ain't been on this planet long enough to tell me how rap's supposed to Y'all need to stick to what you do best Shooting schools up, yeah Go load up rounds in your parents' gats And go to class and let off at the strap And go to town And it fits him extremely well And I think musically, the sample here Yes, it's clearly of the same world as Rap Devil They share a producer The two of them do And I think that helps it fit into it There's a real frisson that happens when you play Rap Devil and then Kill Shot, and you have to play Kill Shot second because, let's be honest, it's the much, much more satisfyingly musical track. Uh, one of the best pieces of writing I've ever read of yours, Holly, was the exact ways in which that this was a satisfying thing to listen to. Yeah, no, it is just an incredible rap. It's one of my favourite Eminem songs ever, which means it's one of my favourite songs ever. And... Um, when it comes to the end, you just want to play it again. It has that endlessly repeatable quality to it. But it's so weird to get this on the pop charts, isn't it? Because this is not a pop song. It doesn't even have a hook. <laughs> this is something that could only really be put out and get this big if we've got a very hip-hop literate audience. An audience that is willing to listen to a freestyle, which in the old days would have just been on a mixtape. Yeah. The sample here, and I don't know how many people know this, is actually available on a Two Dope Boys sample pack that you can download on Splice Sounds. And you will have the license to use that, so you can just go and make your own Killshot remixes if you like. The sample pack is called Sonic Dope Trap 2. 
This beat was actually created for the UK rapper Giggs. He passed on it and Eminem got it as a hand-me-down. <laughs> so Giggs had been asking Illa for horror movie beats. And it works as that. You know, this does sound like a dramatic thriller, you know, the backing behind it. And of course, Killshot. And we're getting, I'm trying to avoid doing this, but Killshot, the title of this, is a reference to a movie for a guy from Cleveland who comes to Detroit and gets killed in the <laughs> 90s, uh, which is extremely clever. Yeah, and the character was also called Coulson. <laughs> oh, God, it's infuriating. Eminem's actual performance here is more measured. Having a song like this chart this well, having this kind of impact is genuinely bonkers, especially for a man who at this point is in middle age yeah. fighting with someone who is younger. This is definitely me reading too far into it, but it seems to reflect this overall political situation. Maybe the youths don't know what they haven't got. Maybe the young people who can't remember a time when there was socialism will not be able to put it into place as well as Bernie Sanders, who was very much criticised for being an angry old white man who was always shouting. I think that is more the energy that Eminem is channeling when he's complaining about young generations not liking hip-hop. Get people to understand that this is important, this is history, this is culture rather than the horrible nihilistic marga energy that you get from Kanye West and from his much younger and equally vulturous little pump. The thing is, for that generation is you and I as well. We have to look into history to see a time when things didn't completely suck. I had to read a biography yes. of Thatcher's time in office to go from, oh wow, we used to have that and then turn a page and see it ruthlessly stripped away from us. So it is the Corbins and the Sanders who were making a point on the stage at this time. So I don't think you're reading too much into it there. I think culturally it's uh, very, very quick to be ageist with such a youth-focused culture. And that's probably a byproduct that the boomers did throughout the 1960s, where there was that don't trust anyone over 30 nonsense. It's like we said earlier in the episode, generational lines are a distraction. Cultural and class lines are the ones that you need to be focused on. And a solidarity, the like of which Eminem would have seen in his youth through union jobs and trying to get into those union jobs, is where it'd be at. Yeah, and that's not to say that I think there's anything politically dodgy about Machine Gun Kelly. Machine Gun Kelly supported Sanders, which Eminem notably didn't. He came out for Biden after Sanders had been removed as a prospect. Machine Gun Kelly is also of a working class background and also knows what it's like. Maybe he's right. Maybe they, they, they are more alike than Eminem would like them to be. But the thing is, that also means that the generational split doesn't really exist either. Yeah. That's two men with 15 years between them who've both experienced the same hardship. And there'll be people 15 years younger than Machine Gun Kelly going through the same shit because it never changes. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, we've got more on the dot that could yes. be talked about, but I'm very conscious about how long we've gone today. Yeah. So um, should we make that as a nice, pleasant place to uh, to bring this to a close, this wonderful project of ours? I mean, I did want to like talk about Sicko Mode, but like honestly, you can just go and listen to that. It's awesome. It's still great. <laughs> like, if we want to talk about how politics ruined music, we could talk about High Hopes by Panic at the Disco, which is literally one of the worst songs ever recorded. <laughs> and all I can hear when I hear that is Matt Chrisman's impersonation of it 
music, which has replaced the original song for me completely. High hope is just the the fight song of 2020. It's better than fight song. Oh, it's way better. It's better than fight song because it's the shittiest song I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) The incredibly suspect visage of Buttigieg. 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 Pick of the week for me. It's. East Side. That's from top five. I'm gonna have to go for the top five there. And of course, I've said it, it's one of my favourite songs ever. Uh, Kill Shot is my favourite from outside of top five. I don't like anything in the top five enough to make it pick of the week. Frankly, I thought this was this was easily the worst chart we've done. So I'm just gonna rally behind Kill Shot. If I had to choose, and I'm not gonna ask you to not spin this on you, but I think my favourite of all the songs that have appeared throughout our entire journey, it would have been uh, Lou Reed's "Walk on the Wild Side." I think that's a very safe choice. Um, I would say Lou Reed's "Walk on the Wild Side," um, and um, I know what a jerk I am. Yeah, I would say "Walk on the Wild Side" by Lou Reed. That's how I'm living by Ice T. Players by Coil Ray would probably be my top three. <laughs> And then kill shot. <laughs> nice. Lovely. Can't argue with any of that at all. All right then, Holly. And then kill shot. <laughs> so that just goes to show you just how much there is to dive into with this music. That often disregarded form forever. The little brother or sister running carefully up behind the more credible places. Turn that rock over. Have a look underneath. What I've learned throughout this entire project is that it's constantly in flux. There's never, ever a settlement that happens. The new is always mixing in there with the old. This is a medium that you simply have to follow. You have to be aware of what's around you. It will enrich you. And that's been the journey that we've been on over these last nine months. And it's been fucking incredible. Thank you. See you again. My last song got three billion streams, bro. There's space for all of us. I mean, hip-hop is constantly evolving, and I respect y'all for doing y'all's thing. No, 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 no. See, okay, hold up. You're going to respect this. Check it. 